0: man and time again for type 40 your doctor who podcast from the Spacebook for the fandom podcast network i'm dan Hadley, birmingham's king of the geeks designated driver mouth runner <laughs> and whether you're new to the show or a, a frequent a frequent flyer you're in for a ton of talk here on our free speaking big thinking show for everyone whatever decade or century you started watching reading or listening along to the ongoing adventures of our hero doctor who within within sniffing distance now of that 60th anniversary year i can't wait to see what's coming up and we're counting it all down here on type 40 we're sort of playing catch up catch up tv you could say catch up tv bringing us up to date sort of with what's been going on in the most recent incarnation of doctor who and those episodes that have most recently aired on on bbc1 bbc america and all over the world wherever you are well wherever you're streaming it but we'll we'll find out when we connect with you and with one another here on this edition of type 40 and we're bringing back not just the doctor (laughs) but he's yes he's bravely venturing back to the mic back to type 40 to uh, help me pick my way through this it's the uh the true believe in the culture clashing Oh, Wagner
1: <laughs> it's good to be here but there's a severe lack of jelly babies in the green room I've just gotta bring that point up you need to restock <laughs> how long has it been because they were feeling a little stiff yeah and we got to talk about that we need to remodel this green room this is not a
0: good look it's not a good look it's not aging well and it's not that old is it the uh, the Jody Whitaker 13th doctor tardis interior i can i can inform you that kyle that set no longer exists it has been struck <laughs> it's i think it's probably been disposed of in landfill somewhere but i do hope that they sort of smashed it into as many yeah. little pieces like you know what attractive. they
1: did you know what they did with it dan they put it the same place that they put all those old atari 2600 et cartridges in that that <laughs> landfill somewhere out in the middle of uh, the desert
0: i think it's quite likely but I always say that it reminds me of uh, of Dancing on Ice, which is a reality show that we get over here. It's a bit like dance, Dancing with the Stars, but we in, in uh, Dancing on Ice, they get these celebrities and they get them ice skating instead. So this is what it reminds me of. But... Wherever they go next, really, it couldn't be, couldn't be a great deal worse. I wonder what Charlotte Shields has got to say about it, Cos. We you ask yeah. her. It's back again. She's back. She was on all of the Flux episodes, I think, last year, very, very bravely. Can't get enough of the 13th Doctor.
2: <laughs> oh, but the, we had a chance for it to change in this episode, and we didn't get it. Thank you, Chibnall. My, my little tiny hope got dashed.
0: This is one of those episodes, isn't it, I suppose, where it could have gone absolutely anywhere, we talked about Flux. Whenever, when was that on? It was fr- from about October. Yeah, that yeah, started Halloween, did it? So we, we were talking about it in October, right the way through to early December. And it was a really intense six weeks. I think you were on a few of those, definitely, weren't you, Kyle? You were on most of them, Charlotte. And for all that it felt like it was a, an improvement in some respects on what we got in series, in series 11 and 12, it just zapped your energy somehow. Six weeks seemed like six months, I think, Charlotte.
2: I think it was improvements with some of the actors that he brought along. There was some little things that improved, but the still overall issues were very glaring. And because it wasn't supposed to connect, it really showed up Chibnall's lack of being able to develop things, I would argue.
0: So now we're at a place where... Whereas we're sitting now in the middle of 2022, there's even less. There's just 90 minutes more screen time left to air. But at this point, we're well into single figures here. And you think, okay, they can kind of clean house a little bit and, and a big special and a big public holiday is a chance to just entertain the masses, isn't it, Carl? That's how it, that's how it should be.
1: Well, here's the problem. Chibnall, in through this run, there's no direction. There, there, he can't make... He is so trying to go in 18 different directions, completely rewrite Doctor Who history. I, it reminds me of this TARDIS set, because this TARDIS set is almost claustrophobic with these crystal fingers I mean, I kind it. of coming around. And that's what it fe- it's felt like to be, at least for me, a Doctor Who fan, through this incarnation of the Doctor, is that it's yeah. just like the, the walls are closing in around us, because it's it's bound to determined to make it be what I think it should be and what nobody else has done done before me. It's, it's, it's my Doctor Who and that that's it and it's been so frustrating and it's something that i've had this conversation with with other things on the we've discussed on the fandom podcast network is the inability of creators when they're dealing with something that has a rich history of actually respecting the history where it came from
0: it's sad for me kyle that people commentating on other franchises and just the pop culture generally can hold this show, our show up as a shining exa- example of how not to do it, of how to mismanage all those things you were talking about and how to run something into the ground.
1: Hollywood has paid attention in some lessons. Um, I, I I can think of three examples of franchises that have come out with something recently where I think they paid a little bit more respect to where they came from. Ghostbusters Afterlife, with how, just how they handled the whole Harold Ramis situation. Yeah. I think this new Predator movie that just came out, Prey, really handles the franchise and the history of the franchise well. And of course, the big thing here, which is just past Titanic for the number seven spot of all time money making films, Top Gun: Maverick actually play is such a tribute to the original film, and it's such, but still so good in its own right, if not better than the original. And I think people are starting to figure it out. Is Instead of trying to wipe the history like they've kind of done with Doctor Who, or maybe even maybe that other franchise called Star Wars, a little bit where they've tried to make massive changes yeah. to certain things, I think people are trying to starting to realize that we need to still pay respects to where we came from, and especially with all the stuff that's happened since this episode came out, and a lot of stuff has happened, uh, including. We know a new Doctor's coming. We know Tennant's coming back. We know Russell T. Davies is coming back. Um, I, I think the history of Doctor Who is going to be put back into
0: place. So when you heard the news that David Tennant was was coming back there, Kyle, and that we were getting Neil Patrick Harris playing the villain, or at least one of the villains of the of, of the 60th anniversary event, whatever that's going to be, how how excited were you? Surprised by Neil Patrick Harris being announced? And how excited are you for all of this? Because we haven't well, really spoken about it.
1: Uh, to, to, to get Tennant and... Um, get the Doctor and Donna back, which which is what's what's coming is absolutely phenomenal. But it also tells you how badly Doctor Who's been messed up because you, you're you're having to p- basically play your biggest card at this point. The only other thing that would have even gotten a reaction like this was to be bring back Matt, Matt Smith and Karen Gillen at this point. I mean, okay. those are. But when they announced Neil Patrick Harris, I admit I was shocked. I had that was that came out of nowhere, but I love it too because I think Neil Patrick Harris is the kind of actor who just can merge into that Doctor Who world and be an absolutely amazing addition to it. And I'm, I'm really curious to see how this is going to play out. And Neil Patrick Harris, if they need a little over the top, he can give you that. If they need something a little bit wacky, he can give you that. I, I'm very intrigued and reserved excited for what the possibilities are for this.
0: Doesn't seem to be anything that Neil Patrick Harris can't do. You had never really seen him before in much, had you, Charlotte? He was a, he's a bit of an unknown quantity to you.
2: I, I'd seen like clips of him in How I Met Your Mother, because on the UK that's always on repeat, even if you don't watch yeah. it, you catch it. But I recently I was watching It's a Sin anyway, because it was Russell's latest work, and I wanted to sort of watch something that was modern Russell, not the Russell I remember from 2005. And he was in that and i really enjoyed his little part in that so from what carl was saying i've seen him play actually quite a reserved qu- character quite a quiet character so the fact that he can do such a range is what's got me excited and the fact that it looks like we obviously don't know exactly who he's playing but it looks like it's a it's a character we haven't seen for a while and i'm excited that it's not like a very master. long one. <laughs> again or a villain that we've seen a lot in the newer run it looks like russell's going back a lot
1: which has got me excited i I just want to throw this out for you charlotte if you if you really want to get something where you can really see neil patrick harris play all bunch of different sides go find somewhere online i know it's streaming in a few places dr horrible sing-along blog
2: it's done by i've not watched it
1: it was done by Josh Whedon, which I know is a name that's pr- fairly toxic right at the moment, but he is phenomenal in it. And if, to give you an idea of what he can be when he wants to be outlandish, and and over the top, it's a great thing to watch. Of course, I go back here in the states with uh, Neil Patrick Harris all the way back to his Doogie Howser, M.D. days when he was playing the so do when he was I a yeah. child child actor playing the um, genius do- genius young doctor. But yeah, um, Neil Patrick Harris is just. Is a gift to people. He he can do so much, and he's done so many great great things. And like I said, I I think he's a fabulous addition to the Doctor Who family. So do
0: I. I mean, I, I think I don't know if he counts as a national treasure. Do you have national treasures in America? We do we do. Expression?
1: I I think I think people would. I don't know if he'd be considered nationwide a national treasure, but I can say this within the realm of fandom, he is absolutely beloved.
0: I think the Doctor Who does have a history of being able to attract people. People like that, people who are who are beloved and who've been around a while and can probably pick and choose their projects. And so the idea that an actor as, as busy and as versatile and as international as Neil Patrick Harris would be involved in any episode, let alone the 60th anniversary extravaganza, whatever it's going to be, I find that really exciting too. But I wanted to ask you about one of our national treasures too, though, Carl. very, very briefly. Cause last time we got together, Charlotte, we paid tribute to Bernard Cribbins, didn't we? He was a ninety-three-year-old British actor and entertainer, Kyle, and I would imagine that the very first time you saw him would probably have been on on Doctor Who. But did you did you hear the sad news?
1: Yeah, I did hear the sad news. Actually, I I heard it pretty. I woke up that morning he passed and got had the news flashed on my phone, and I I, I actually I looked in our group chat that we have and nobody had said anything about it, so I posted it in there so i would. I figured it had happened pretty quickly but um yeah i mean 93 he's he lived a f- fantastic life and yeah i mean he he was he was a treasure especially in that last run of tenant the thing about him as far as his run of doctor who was he he was such a fun counter a little bit to the doctor in the aspect of everybody cared about him and he kind of made the the doctor care about him even more especially even though it was a time when maybe the doctor was trying to distance himself from humanity but it's him and tenant together was one of the highlights of tenants run the, the i have no problem saying that
0: bernard cribbins will be very sadly missed here in, in the uk he's just always been around and you you know i think i said before you want you'd like these people these characters to be a to go on forever you know Nichol nichols also Sadly passed away at the age of 89 didn't she I would imagine it's very much the same in America uh, regarding a, a, a figure like her who's just always been there but I suppose all we can do is, is pay our respects give our um, appreciation for that which they have done for us during their lifetimes and then continue to sort of um, to go back to it and, and to treasure it after they've gone
1: it's different and I, I'm going to bring this up because I think it's a fair comparison right now you have Bernard who he was 93. We we could kind of prepare for it. We knew that this time was coming. It's it's sad, but we can celebrate it. But then when we compare it to um, Chadwick Boseman, because the trailer for Black Panther: yes. Wakanda Forever just came out, that still hits me hard emotionally because we lost him way too young, and we weren't we didn't have in the back of our minds this was coming. We were prepared for yeah, it. It was an
0: absolutely that we, was we, a tragedy losing that actor at the at the height of his career. Really, when he he seemed to have so much to. Because yeah,
1: yeah. I th- I think he was on his way, or if not already there, to an iconic status. But I think it's we talk about Michelle, we talk about Bernard, and the, their place was set. They were universally beloved. It's sad, but I can at least with th- this situation, I can I can feel good in honoring what he's done and what he he brought us and the smiles he put on faces and just what he brought to Doctor Who.
2: Yeah, and um, also yes. the fact that we know we've got him. For one more instance, I think that was—I don't want to say a relief. That's not the right word. But it—it it made it a bit easier, I think, in the UK because we knew we were going to be able to say goodbye to him on the screen. Yeah, which I yeah. think is going to be—we've sort of said in the UK it was—it was charged enough the 60th, but especially in this country, I think now it's going to be really like emotionally charged now, considering his passing.
0: That's all to come on the 60th anniversary event, whenever that's going to be. And we'll be here on Type 40 talking about all of that too. And and doubtless we'll be uh, laughing and crying together as whatever plays out, plays out. That's to come in due course. But in the meantime, if you'd like to do some real-time travelling of your own, each and every edition of this show, past, present and future, is just a tap or two away. If you know where to look, there's uh, well over 100 now. God, blimey. Great conversations, reviews, previews, interviews, geek outs and deep dives with all our regulars and some pretty awesome guests. We know there's something for every fan at type40.podbean.com There'll be more about all of that a little later on as well as a couple of minutes for us to make contact with the, uh, the matrix of all knowledge that we call the Fandom Podcast Network for a word about all the other amazing podcasts, all those conversations that are going on over there. Okay, that's enough of all of that, I think. Time to get stuck in to bring us back to the recent present. I suppose it's present enough. Get ready. Hold yeah, hold on to your, <laughs> your seats, everyone, because this could get painful. This is a Chris Chibnall-penned episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's rip off the plaster. That's what they say. <laughs> Make it... <laughs> that's painful in the long run and yeah we're going to begin a look at the 13th doctor specials with eve of the daleks which was written by uh, chris chibnall the showrunner stroke executive producer of doctor who well he was up until whenever that was when when was it last september october time they're long gone all of them and just in case you gave that one a miss or you've forgotten about it in the meantime because we all have. This is how it went. It says uh, welcome to New Year's Eve to the New Year's Eve from Hell. Sarah is working again, and Nick is her, is her only customer again. So it's the same old, same old. Except this year their countdown to midnight will be the strangest and deadliest they've ever known. Why is an executioner Dalek targeting these two people in this place on this night? Why are they having to live through the same moments over and over? Can't the Doctor, Yaz, and Dan save them? Then we will all survive into the new year. This was originally broadcast on New Year's Day 2022, written by Chris Chibnall, directed by Annette Laufer, it was produced by Sheena Buktuwansing, and the executive producer was Matt Streven's. He's the, uh, yeah, he's been the executive executive producer all the way through, hasn't he, alongside Chris Jim? No, I, I think I've only ever seen the guy interviewed once, so I, I forget everything about him. Okay, where can we start with this? The way I look at, at this, Kyle, is that it is a mashup of two, not just genre staples, but Doctor Who staples. So we've got the time loop, every successful... Well, successful. Any long-running show that managed to clock up a full season, come to think of it, within this genre, they do a time-loop time episode, don't they? Doctor Who's done it before with the Armageddon factor, Heaven Sent, Megalos, that kind of story. Uh, but also in there is a, is the base under siege story too. That's That was a Doctor Who staple right back in the 60s when Tramp was playing the part about episodes like Cold War, Mummy on the Orient of Express, I suppose you could say, was a kind of base under siege story. This is in that mould, isn't it? Are these mo- molds of story worth going back to over and over again? Is it a sign of a, of a writer and a showrunner that's run out of ideas? Or is it more about the strength of that core principle as being really reliable, that you can deliver something that people will get on board with fast? Where do you sit with this? They're two
1: very popular and strong tropes in science fiction. And when the right writer has his hands on them and can add his own twist and give it something from a, even a little bit of a different perspective, it's great when it's Chris Chibnall and, at this point, a very checked-out Chris Chibnall, who not only plays it as lazily as possible in this episode and gives us characters that we cannot get emotionally invested in because they are terribly written. It, it goes off the rails so quickly. And the, the, the sad part of it is is that there is actually, in my opinion, this might be the most chemistry we've seen with this version of Teen Tardis in this episode, as far as just the chemistry between the three of them, but you have two new characters that you just can't get invested in, and one, I'm sorry, is just downright is dislikable. Then you add in the aspect of a time loop, and in this case, again, I feel kind of like um, they didn't bring anything new to the time loop. You know, they didn't give you any kind of twist. It just was, you gotta put something out there. Oh, we'll take time loop, we'll take Under Siege, put it together, there you go.
0: It's quite early in the episode where where the Doctor, Yaz, and Dan, they turn up. It's clearly not long after the whole events of Flux because they're sort of mopping up the tide. This is resetting, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, it was last week, doesn't it? Because Dan says at one point, you saved the universe last week. It's a very short period of time later. And they they plop them right in. And rather than get into some sort of big explanation of it, I think Dan actually says, oh, it's a bit like Groundhog Day, isn't it? Which is, ha, 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 you know, very postmodern and all the rest of it. Groundhog Day itself is a 30 year old movie (laughs) and I just think think it's again a bit of a lazy reach from Chris Chimnall
1: my question would be Chimnall had to know at this point he was done and so my question is is he he at this point where he's just like I'm mailing it in
0: the third special on the bounce where he's brought back the Daleks in the New Year episode. I keep going to call it the Christmas special. <laughs> I can't well, I can't well, well, use the word festive. The, the expression well, festive special is so asinine. And this I think more than any other could have been a Christmas. It could have just as easily have been set on Christmas Eve as New Year's Eve, but in my yeah, view. Yeah.
2: But but in the other ones it's felt like that. They've all felt <laughs> like he's not really made uh, enough changes to justify it being a New Year's special versus a Christmas one. It felt so mailed in with the writing with how the time loop was dealt with it was done so simply and the thing that i think is a big mistake is the whole appeal of a time loop is that the characters sort of slowly understand and slowly get better and you see them get better like um, I always forget what the movie's called, Live, Die, Repeat, I think is one of the titles. Yeah, the Edge of Tomorrow. The edge, of of Tom tomorrow. edge of Tomorrow.
1: Edge of Tomorrow, yeah.
2: That that that's the example, if you want to have a more modern example of this type of story. And you see that in Tom Cruise's character. And within like the first loop, they're all working out. Oh, we've done this before. Chris, you've just taken away the whole appeal of a time loop story. Shortcut, like straight away.
0: And I suppose that Thing that he's done which makes sense this is just an an hour or 57 minutes worth of screen time is that he, he hasn't created this sort of raft of like a dozen brand new characters there's only really the two stroke three I'm, you can only really count the two. there's only two extra characters in here that he's got to sort of build and slot into the dynamic with the uh with the three regulars so he hasn't overburdened it in that respect and yet just as you say kyle the, the new character Sarah, played by Aisling B, and Nick, played by Ajani Salmon, they still feel like underdeveloped somehow. And he's got all this time and all these all these loops for us to really get to know them, and it, it's still not happening, is it? It's
1: not. It's not only it's not happening. Nick is just dull. Let's let's be honest yeah. with you. And he is just dull. I was trying he to
0: was... work out whether it was the actor that that's dull a, a Johnny salmon who I I think I've seen in other things he's probably a perfectly nice guy I was and, trying to work out whether he was playing it deliberately dull or whether the actor is dull
1: yeah I, and I can't I can't figure that out because I haven't really seen him in anything else and Sarah is just irredeemable there is no, there is no good qualities about the Sarah character and it doesn't really change even at the end of this. She, she oh she might realize oh well, this exactly guy really likes me but she 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 really didn't change change that much um to be honest with you with this episode the only two things that i actually found somewhat intriguing and i gotta give i'll give Chimnall a little bit of credit for this is the concept of the time loop countdown and in such a short time frame like
0: chris Chimnall loves a the countdown there's countdown yeah. clocks in the majority yes. of his episodes somewhere along the line so you could say this was always going to happen this is the lowest hanging fruit for a writer like
1: him. yeah and, and But you know what? Of, of all the characters, the one who I thought actually came across the most interesting to me was Dan. I, I, who in the Flux was just whatever. and he, I thought in this one, he came across more selfless and and just more of a fleshed out character here than he ever did through yeah. the entire run of the Flux.
0: Well, just to backtrack a little bit, John Bishop joined us, Dan, didn't he? At the beginning of Flux, a.k.a. Yeah. Series 13, whatever you want to call it. And in some ways you could say that he's had uh, an easy time of it because John Bishop has been pretty much playing John Bishop but in other respects he's had to do quite a lot of heavy lifting hasn't he Charlotte because he is obviously if you're playing yourself i suppose you are going to know that character quite well i you know yeah he's down the screen but it's it's John Bishop really so you could say that they've given him a pretty easy job to do but when when the, he's the only person within most casts that feels relatable at all that seems in a moment the majority of the of the work of selling us on the urgency of this situation actually falls on him rather than the uh the supposed lead character and even the guest characters who should be they should be the ones like us and we're thinking if that was us that if we were working late that night how would we react but it is it's it's john bishop carl's right isn't it? it's john bishop we go back to Again, we look to him for some sort of normalcy.
2: Yeah, it's because John tends to get the more grounded lines. He tends to get the more realistic lines. Because you've got Jodie every five minutes spouting off techno babble and trying to be like wacky. You've got Yaz, who's just now literally there to just dopey eyed look at the doctor. That's her role. And like, you, like you've got Nick, who. I was just, by the end of the episode, I was saying, oh, future Crime watch, e fit. He was just like beyond a creep. It wasn't even funny. And they, and um, Sarah, he was just there to sort of tell him off. So John was the only grounding force here because he was just the one going, eh, there's Daleks. We're going to get shot. Can we not die? Like it's not, it wasn't given anything amazing to work with, but I actually found some of the treatment of his character not very nice by the other characters. No, I'd
0: noticed that as well.
2: Because he did the heroic sacrifice, and that, that's what Carl was talking about in that one loop. And like, as soon as he does it, they're having a go at him within five minutes. They're having snide comments about him. And it's just like, oh, what have you two done? He's because the one they're who's trying actually to convince
0: gone... us, aren't they? Charlotte, by this point, they're, they're reinforcing the fact... That, that Dan and Yaz were together for four years at, at one point while the doctors, I can't remember what was don't expect me to believe remember anything that went on in flux. It was a nonsense then, it's a nonsense now. But I know they spent that four years together. And so I think we're supposed to believe that, that they bonded together. And he calls her Sheffield. I don't know what she calls him. I don't care. I
2: think I, th- I it- think it's Scouse. I think it's the whole Scouse, regional thing it. they're playing off. You know,
0: it's real, real short and you know, real low common denominator stuff. So they're trying to have that in play, and they talk about the Doctor behind her back in the way that in the way that Rory and Amy would, which can work, but because this incarnation of of the Doctor is so not the Doctor, it's still this malformed version of the character that's n- totally irredeemable at this point too. It, it, it's just not. It's just not working because Jodie Whittaker. It's p- long past time. This game was over on this a long time ago. She hasn't convinced anybody that she's the Doctor. She's not convinced herself that she's the Doctor. Therefore, yeah, we we look at these two characters and, and again, you know, I, I look at Mandip Gill. And I've always tried to be charit- tar- charitable towards Mandip Gill because I, I've always felt that she's loved being part of this show. And she's sort of doing the minimum now as well. And the handbrake turns with the character every few episodes, Kyle.
1: Has there ever been a character in Doctor Who that has been dumbed down as much as Yaz has from her introduction to now? That's a how I felt about it. career
0: woman it, it, who knew where she was going, who had, a, who had a, a strong personality. Yeah, I think that's a fair call.
1: I mean you, when we first get her she's 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 on a path she, she knows she she has her p- beliefs in the law things like that and then now she's just just gooey eyed oh i've been in love with the doctor and the, but yeah. like yeah, i feel and it's like if anything it's I, I look at that and go you're in a toxic relationship you need to get out because this this is destroying the person you are that's how i've kind of viewed it to this point in in these episodes. And because she I, does
0: I so little. She treads water through the majority of it. Just as Charlotte says, she, she hardly does a single thing. She's only on screen to get to that point where I think about 15, 20 minutes before the end, she has one conversation with Dan. The rest of the time, she's there throwing the odd, I want to, insult in Dan's direction just to sort of try and convince us that there's some sort of dynamic and chemistry between the regulars that we we know is not there you know we we don't need to hear these things we can we can see them on screen we've been following the story up to now i don't want to say i don't want to pick this thing apart because these are the episodes that obviously they are served up on public holidays, and they should be crowd pleasers. They should be quite simple. They should almost, in, many, in some respects, be sort of cartoon versions of Doctor Who, where we've got the the boo hiss bad guys and the goodies are the goodies, and we know who you know, and the people who don't even watch the show regularly know who to root for, and the plot isn't isn't too uh, complicated, so that people can still follow it if they've had a couple of drinks, and I think they, this probably does that on paper. But watching each successive episode of Chris Chibnall's version of Doctor Who, and it doesn't really matter whether one is better than the last, they never get any easier to sit through because it all looks and feels so, so tired.
2: I-, I think that's the dialogue. If there's anything that stood out in this episode to try and like say something a bit different and not that I'm repeating myself, for me, the dialogue was so... To the point, and I mean as to everything felt like they were just saying it because of the script needed them to. Like nothing yeah. felt natural with this dialogue in the slightest. At the beginning you said, oh, it's based on the siege and time loop. I'll put in romantic comedy, like some of the music yeah. was ro- trying to be a romantic comedy. You obviously had Sarah and Nick and Yaz and the Doctor. And i'm sorry with romantic comedy dialogue it can't sound functional which is what it did tribunal has a bad habit of spelling stuff out of like saying stuff that we we know any, anyway he just thinks the character needs to say it out loud again for our sake i don't know but i felt like the dialogue was so like that
0: i think that when he does that he's he's tried to convince himself and people watching that he's got a handle on on this story and this script. I think that's the only reason he, over, he restates things over and over, over again. That's why the Doctor is, is continually a megaphone for exposition. There's not re- not really a great deal else to the character that, that we see there, come to think of it. This is a rare instance where the Doctor and her companions are, are together most of the time. They occasionally break away, but not very often. Usually Chibnall does... In fact, the very first thing he does come to think of it is he separates the Doctor from everybody else. And, and she goes off and, and ha- kind of has the adventure while they sit around and talk amongst themselves. In here, because they're in a confined space, he leans on, that, on those tropes and that framework to help him keep on track. But because it's such a workmanlike script, as you were saying, Charlotte, there's still no real life to it. We'll we'll get a special out because we've got to get a special out. There's no real stakes apart from the character of Siri. Who's this is her business, I suppose at stake. We don't know what the Daleks want. But as if they've finally decided they're gonna they're gonna trap the Doctor, gonna seize that moment because they've registered that the TARDIS is there. That the TARDIS is is resetting, so the Doctor can't get in there. They're gonna press their advantage now and and trap the Doctor, which I suppose is fine. It's very sort of Looney Tunes, isn't it? Uh, it never builds out from that looking at the character of sarah this is played by Aisling b is a 38 year old stand-up comedian turned actor she's the star and writer too of this big comedy show that channel four have got called this way up which i've i've never heard of (laughs) to be fair and has won numerous awards at things like the edinburgh fringe but her acting this is something relatively new she had small parts in holby city and lewis and things like that but she's never been technically an actress I think that shows, you give somebody like this a character like Sarah who is so um, so black and white, let's say Kyle, she is she is unlikable. And it's there really, I suppose, for, for an actress like Aisling to flesh out with her personality. There's very little there to help her. And maybe a more established actress would have been able to make a little more of it, have brought a little more nuance to it. Because I think we were supposed to like her, Kyle. I think we were supposed to be sympathetic towards her and see her in that kind of as you were saying, Charlotte, uh, the heroine of a romantic comedy who may be her own worst enemy, but she's got a good heart and she and she may talk to her mother like S, but she loves her really. And, and But Aisling hasn't got the acting skill to, to raise that up. So we've got that. And then we've got the Nick character who, as you say, Charlotte, is he supposed to be comic relief? Are we supposed to feel sorry for him? Or are we supposed to will him to success? At some points we do, but again, the actor seems that uninterested by what he's doing if they don't look at their lives like their lives are in danger then how can we believe in it i think that aisling b actually does manage to do that sometimes when she runs down a corridor to try and get away from something i believe that she certainly runs a lot better on screen than, than jody does and she's got a great face it's just not happening and nick it's just a just a charisma free zone there as far as i can see i, I do feel frustrated by this kyle because i I think this was actually one of the better episodes of the Jodie Whittaker era, <laughs> despite the fact I'm sort of slating it. I feel frustrated because I think it could have been a lot, lot better that they Dan, had something here.
1: Yeah, Dan, in your in your soliloquy there, you basically summed up the entire Chris Chibnall era of Doctor Who, because a, a couple of things. I want to go back to a point you made a few minutes ago about how when the Christmas specials came out, they were written for everybody. And even though they were written for everybody, they didn't insult The watchers intelligence they didn't insult the viewers intelligence you know whether it was the matt smith air the peter capaldi air everything was intelligently written but still in a way that people who maybe didn't know everything about doctor who could still absorb this in this episode is so written down below people's intelligence level and what you talked about as far as you know like having these people who are not maybe not necessarily actors if they have the support system around them if they have a good writer if they have a good director and in this case it's everything's chibnall it just points to i think a big factor of even for those who are still saying that you know what would jody have done was a different creative team around her i think it it gives them some ammunition i'm not saying that I don't think yeah. ever Jodie has ever been able to figure out the doctor and I think that that's just as much of on the actors for not being able to figure it out but I do think it shows you that to me the inherent problem that has been through this iteration of doctor who is Chris Chimnall and the creative team they can't they can't get out of their own way they can't let they've got their actors so confused and then when you bring in somebody like who the actor the, the person who played Sarah, who is not necessarily an actress by trade, and has no support, then it's it's it just it goes off the rails. And I go back to the the, the one up when we had Barrowman on as a guest, and you just yeah. felt a different energy and a different connection. And it's like he helped everybody understand what their roles were. And with just having that experienced actor who's experienced in Doctor Who and bringing this here, it just feels like go be yourself see what happens or just go go to treat it like you're playing in your backyard with your imagination and
0: the just... the concept of a doctor who story set in a uh, a, a self-storage center i think is quite a strong one obviously oh, self storage centers they didn't really exist 30 years ago i'm i think they probably did 20 years ago so it's a very modern thing that we we all see them but certainly some in my local area dotted around here and there kind of inconspicuous buildings that are always like perfectly squared and i've never been inside when i kind of wondered what they were like inside so i think that's quite i think that's quite canny of of chris chibnall that's so canny in fact that i kind of i'm suspicious that it wasn't his idea <laughs> so i i like that And when i heard what the premise of this special was going to be i thought okay he might finally have something here but but no but no <laughs> i want to talk very briefly about uh about the Daleks, because, yeah, it is obviously the third special in a row that they've been in on. Here we get we get some new weapons, don't we? Sort of jacked into the front of the Daleks, They're the executioner Dalek Charlotte. It's, it's exciting. It sounds nasty, doesn't it? It sounds like the special weapons Dalek from the, uh, from the late 80s show. It just means that the guns rotate and fire slightly faster. They still only hit their target when they need to be hit, don't they? It's...
2: Oh, I was going to, but that was my joke. I mean, the fact that you make the point that these are like special executioner Daleks, they've got their big gun, and I'm sorry, these guys would give stormtroopers a blush with the amount of shots missed. Like, I'm not one of those who can get uptight about that stuff. I'm like, oh, it's Daleks, of course. But because it was so prevalent, and there were so many shots them in like because it's like I said it's a self-storage area so it's tight corridors it's areas which should benefit a Dalek surely and the amount of times they would just run and they'd be like 50 it felt like about 50 shots around them that would just magically miss I was just uh-huh. like come on chips
1: you, you, you stole my thunder, Charlotte. Because I was going to say, did you ever hear about the Great Dalek Stormtrooper War? You should have, yeah. because everybody survived it. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things, though, too, and you talk about these special Daleks, is look, look, look how Dan just like, oh, I'm just going to turn in one direction and just stay ahead of the Dalek shot. I'm like, okay, yeah. Daleks aren't quite that stupid. I'm like, the Daleks going to turn in the opposite direction when when he least expects it, if nothing else. And it's just. You know, it's, it's, it it's felt like,
0: like a gag from a from a wacky yeah. children's adventure movie. Again, yeah, yeah. I've got nothing against those sort of children's adventure movies, but that's not what Doctor Who is supposed to be. It's more the, sophisticated. The only,
1: the only thing that was missing in this was they should have went into one of the storage units and it should have been filled with Acme boxes. <laughs> yeah, and, ah! and,
2: another, and another thing I found really odd is... And I'm guessing this is, like, I understand TV logic, like I said before, but the amount of times characters would just talk at the Dalek and the Dalek would respond and not shoot them and, like, have almost, like, witty comebacks. It felt like, at times, like, I am not Nick. Daleks don't have managers. And it's like, Daleks don't speak like that.
0: I think that was solely there because obviously the voice of the Daleks for all these years has been Nick Briggs and I think it was an in joke that was put in to amuse them and a few fans who are, who are in the know and and that's that really. I think that the Daleks have it's viable to incorporate the Daleks into a story like this again particularly on a big on a big bank holiday and to lean into the part of them that is I don't want to use the expression comic relief but that is slightly absurd the fact that they are pepperpots on wheels with the with the funny voices and they're invincible and yet they get beaten so often I think it's okay to lean into that sometimes if you again if you've got a strong enough story and I think that they were overconfident or, or, or just lazy I I don't I don't know what it is I just feel that it all contributes to making the Daleks seem lesser and I can't help but wish that perhaps they'd have used another villain, another monster not necessarily from Doctor Who's past but something else because I do feel that every time that they they bring the Daleks out like this and don't serve them well that it diminishes them more and more and more and more and it doesn't really matter what new funky weapons that they've got or even if they've got a new coat of paint it just does them down a lot and it, again it feels like another another doctor who mainstay that's been run into the ground through if not overuse the careless careless use i think that they it's okay that characters that that the daleks can be if not figures of fun then we can enjoy them for for what they are as cultural icons but not just not like this not like this uh,
1: it, it it it's rough because Chibnall has basically decided the only time he was going to use the Dallas was for his these specials and obviously what, what happened in uh, the, the Flux episodes there. And I, I like the fact that they actually tied that in a little bit, that this is why they were trying to get the Doctor this, this yeah. time. But it's still, it's, it's because of how the show is being produced right now. And I look at what we have ahead. RTD has 10 times more work to get Doctor Who back than he ever did when he came back with Eccleston, yeah. Because I agree, he he was writing for something that people knew and re- and finally remembered when he came back to, with Eccleston, and it just had been time and he had to just kind of refresh people a little bit. Here he's almost got to reverse engineer Doctor Who, and and it, it, he's got a monumental task ahead of him to get this get this reset and right
0: i i want to acknowledge the fact that despite this episode being <laughs> not what it could have been it's being, being polite i thought the direction was sort of was okay in a lot of places i think it used the location the setting quite well this is the first time director called annette laufa again this is somebody with practically no credits to her name yet. Yeah, given the task of directing a huge special on a big public holiday for what is allegedly one of the british tv's biggest brands Uh, but she is the founder of the roman candle productions company which is uh, noted for focusing on on that black female led film so i think we could have the reason why she was employed there rather than on ability, because this is, again, another another move out, directly out of the Christian playbook, isn't it, Charlotte? Uh,
2: yes, especially, like you said, with the with the little of experience being chucked in, because the same thing happens for the next special. We get a director very similar. So it's... See, for me, maybe because I quite like... I've grown to quite like Jamie's style, that when it isn't him... Jamie I don't Magnus Stone. yeah, I, I think what's happened and I've sort of thought about this, I think I really have started to like his style. So when it's not him, unless it's really bad, I don't really notice it. So well, I just notice it so much.
0: Because his style I think along with Sagan Akalola's music, which is very sort of marmite for people, I think Jamie Magnus Stone's directing style is the only thing that's given this entire era any any sense of of texture. And of being the world-class show that it keeps trying to tell us that it is. And so when he's not there, we're left, we're left with something which, you know, and I don't want to do this director down. I think this could have, could have gone a lot, lot worse. Oh yes, and that's
2: what I'm saying. It wasn't terrible. I just no, it wasn't to not terrible at it. all.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, as such, it does feel like we're watching another show altogether somehow. That that it's still that the entire production is running on fumes, and and they can't wait to be at the door. I think, Kyle.
1: I think here, and I agree with you guys, this episode wasn't a bad episode. No. The frustrating part is this episode had so much more potential to it. And I, the fact that it went untapped and it makes me wonder what, hearing you guys talk, how many of these directors are coming in excited because they're doing Doctor Who and are so frustrated by the end of their episode or episodes because of I, I just, I, I, everything with this run just feels like there are fingers always in the pot of soup that's that are stirring it that aren't are beyond the director's control and that the directors are more like finger puppets. Somebody's they're there, they're running things, but there's somebody still pushing things in certain directions that is is There's a high. The higher power is been uh, well, hovering I over think... this. I know
0: what you're you're saying I think we get I think we get this with the writers too on series 11 and series 12 I think Chris Chibnall wrote most of series 13 himself didn't he where you can imagine people given given their shot for writing or directing this show because of its because of its name and its huge cultural significance wow I'm going to be writing directing a Doctor Who and then they're given this they're they're given one of these scripts their heart must just just sink <laughs> you know as as the process goes along think, oh well at least I can say that I worked on doctor who I suppose there's that but when you're responsible or or a key figure in one of the worst episodes of all time as most of this run have been there's not really a great deal amount of kudos to be got from that and I can see I can see people in time actually leaving their doctor Who credits off this, off their CV to try and get more work. People think, hang on, when, when who was the doctor when that was made? Oh, well, in that case, we might want to give that person a pass. Uh, before we we uh, leave the episode entirely, I want to ask you both about about this scene between Dan and Yas because this is Thasmin, isn't it? That's the thing. Hashtag Thasmin. This is largely a thing that was born on Twitter. So the uh, the the slash fiction relationship crush would you want to call it um, unrequited love between yaz and the doctor in my view and from my memory and i'll admit you know I, I haven't re-watched many of these episodes it's never really been present on screen it was entirely something born from the fandom but here it is incorporated into the story and we get this scene towards i think it's around the three quarters mark where where dan Notices that Yaz does seem to be very, very invested in the Doctor and has this deeper connection to her and, and asks her about it. You know, have, have you told her? That's that's what that's the very simple question that he uh, that he puts to Yaz, isn't it? And we get we get a conversation, we get a scene, which is quite nicely played by both Mandip Gill and John Bishop. But it's way too little too late with with any of these characters isn't it? it doesn't you can see that it's a kind of afterthought and i think if they were going to do this they probably should have if not i'm not saying they should have made it the focus of any episode but it would have been ideal really to to bring it through a, a lot earlier yas has been there for a very long time and yet this is kind of the first that we're hearing about it. And so in my view, it would have been far, far better to not necessarily retcon this or to put something on screen that would mean that the people who invested in Hashtag Thasmin, that, that it would sort of wipe that from, from existence to take that away from them. But they probably shouldn't have put it on screen at all if this is all that there's ever going to be, Charlotte. Do you see what I'm saying?
2: Yeah, for me, this is the perfect example of bare minimum effort for a relationship. Because it can't seen. go, the people
0: who are invested, it can't go where they really wanted to go, can it? So, well, in some ways, why bother?
2: Well, no, and the problem is, also, we've had sort of the two versions, in New Who especially, of a companion falling for the Doctor. We've had Rose, which was, you could tell the Doctor was very was feeling similar. You could see that multiple times in Tennant's incarnation. So when he did have the big romantic scene with her, it felt natural. It felt like it was a, it was built up. And then what this is a bit more closer to is the Martha Jones storyline of yeah. sort of looking at the Doctor, feeling, falling in love, but the Doctor not quite showing it back. And this is a really pale imitation of what Martha had. Because like you said... It's not been done right. It's not been like a little bit of something in Series 11 and then a bit more in Series 12 and then a proper something in Series 13 and then it could like be the capping off point in the specials. It's just not... And we know this because Matt Stevens, when he did do a little bit of media when he left, he admitted to the press that this was an afterthought. He basically said that in series eleven, they didn't put it in, but I think it was Manny Paul Jody. I can't remember. It never Bas- even
0: crossed. The, it never even crossed no. their minds. No, and
2: basically, so. one of the actresses went, "Oh look on Twitter, people are saying there's this stasmin thing." He admitted they they forgot about it. Was his wording in series twelve, and then in series thirteen, he was like, "Oh, we'll play around with it," and I <laughs> And I was just thinking this just to finish, like we've all said, yeah, we've all said that Yaz hasn't really been defined well. She's sort of been this meandering companion. I'm sorry, would it not have been a really good companion sort of arc to have a companion discover their sexuality? And to actually explore that? And to actually have that as Yasmin's main sort of character mo- motivation? I think that would have been really good. But no, I mean, it's I just think... sort of I think Come you could question minute. as to
0: whether that would be viable within a show, within a family adventure serial. But I think to to do that softly yeah, from, that's what from I mean. the corners could could have been effective. It could have been a value to people in the audience who who maybe they're going through similar or have gone through similar. I think there'd have been I think that there'd have been a nobility to that. And I think it would have been viable. Yeah, the, you'd have always had some people who were against it for whatever reason, simply because they they just want sci-fi and action all the time. Or, or people who who are a little a little uh, more how can I put this more backward in their thinking? You know, they'll, people like that will say what they like. <laughs> the way I feel about it is that I mean, it's slash fiction, Kyle. It's been around for a long time, hasn't it? You know, we're talking, I think, since the eighties, since early Star Trek fan fiction. I've got I've got nothing against slash fiction because I don't have to read the stuff. You know, it's it's always badly written. I don't go anywhere near it, out of sight, out of mind. I, and, but as much as as much as it's not for me, I would never want to rob people who are invested in that of the thing that they like. But to put it up on screen at all to legitimise something that is just simply in existence within within a minority of a minority of people. When you're when you should be ideally thinking of of your characters and delivering the best show you possibly can for the widest audience.
1: So. Here's here, here's the thing. You talk about fan fiction. For so long, it was people would write it, they'd share it with themselves at conventions, and then the early days yeah. of the internet that you had that. We're now at the point where now the fan fiction is getting forced down our throat. The, the people just put it on Twitter, put it on social media, whatever, whatever, and it gets kind of forced down your throat. And here's the scary part to me of, of, of that aspect of this, is that the fact that these fan fictions are now influencing the writers of these shows and then instead of them sticking to what their vision is, because they're so concerned about the ratings about pleasing the fans instead of sticking to their own vision. And then we get what we get with what, what this was, which is basically we're going to, we're going to shoehorn this in and it's, it's so poorly done. And to me, I guess what for me with Dr. Who at this point is you're never going to top the romantic story of, Either Doctor and Rose or Doctor and River Song. You're just you're not you're not going to do it. And even like Charlotte, you talk about Martha Jones. I agree with you. And what made that Martha Jones story work so well was because we knew the Doctor was on kind of a rebound. He was he he was still recovering from Rose, and here you had somebody who had this unequated attraction and love. Now was it for the person or was it for the dynamic the Doctor brings in? Then you go to here. And not only do you have all of a sudden this character being in love with the doctor, but this character deciding she's she's gay, out of the blue. No indication at all of this throughout this run. And it's handled so poorly that I'm honestly surprised there was not a bigger reaction from the LBGTQ community going, what are you doing? This is like a slap in the face to <laughs> yes, us. because they're not usually
0: how- so shy and retiring, are they? <laughs>
1: on how and how you handled this and i i because I, i honestly felt like it was just handled like it was a throwaway thing and what what i mean is this we even though if we've had a character who you know we just kind of find out casually what their sexuality is here in this she basically says the line i didn't even know this about myself this is a, this is like a major life changing yeah, yeah. thing for a person to to realize, and it's just completely Pick thrown away it. as an afterthought. And it's it's a shame because it could have been a great storyline that went through this run of Doctor Who, Or, you know, yeah, where you have Yaz struggling with how she's feeling or what's going on or why is she, and having some some conflict or even just and then ex- acceptance of herself. Instead, we've got oh. Out with the bay, water with the baby with the water, and it's just it's 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 lazy writing, and it's 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 been the curse of the thirteenth of this of Doctor Who lazy writing, and, and hey. it's, it's it's terrible.
0: Well, at least they've had a fun time making it, Kyle. That's what counts, isn't it?
1: <laughs> hey, you know what? I I give him credit. Uh, you know, if, if 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 one thing about it is is that they do see they have come across at least the actors. As a fairly, like they, they did bond throughout this, yeah. and I mean, you know, they could be at each other's throats. This is how this has gone. I, I have a feeling that Jodie Chimnal or Jodie Whitaker will have nothing to do with Chris Chimnal by the time this is all said and done, because I think he's done more damage to her career than anybody could, could have imagined when I this think started. He,
0: I think you could be right. And just to uh, be a little bit more upbeat, because we've given this episode a real. Hard time i know we have uh, i have only been this condemning because i do feel that there was, there was something here that this could have been this could have been good it could at least have been serviceable that's why i feel the way that i do about it but just to end on a, on a sort of positive i thought that uh, aisling b her, her look the the pullover the cardigan whatever you want you want to call that knitwear how doctorish that kind of was those scenes where she was running down the corridor with the sort of long wavy hair and, and her unusual face you know she's a, an attractive woman but quite unusual looking i thought you know i'm i don't believe in the gender swap female doctors. not for me i didn't think it would work and i was right all that that's the disclaimer out of the way i think that in some scenes in here she looked a lot more like what i would expect a female doctor to look like than than jodie whittaker i think she was kind of dressed like the doctor and has that kind of quality about it anybody else is that just me? <laughs>
1: um I can understand the dress, but again, I it was the character she was in playing I, the character was so irredeemable in my opinion because she was just not a good person I mean at, yeah. at the end of at the end of the day but um she she does have that look. I would like to see her in something else to see you know if she could possibly have that kind of energy to her but yeah the look of it's probably more of a look of the doc of the doctor than jody's look is that's for sure
2: well i i've seen her on panel shows because she's quite a regular in the uk on that just as herself and she comes across a bit zany like lovely and a bit zany and a little bit just odd and i i think she's got a good energy about her which you could like use. i think that's what i was picking up doctor. on yeah if you ever see her do because she is a She's really a stand-up, like you said, she's done bits of acting, but she's known as a stand-up. She's quite funny. So I think, as a personality, she would suit a possible female Doctor, but I don't know if she could have the acting. But I, like the outfit, and like I just said, her as herself, yes, I could say.
0: I think what it is, I got the feeling watching this that Aisling is a lot more likeable than Sarah was, and that's under the surface, trying to come through but it can't because because of the material. But yeah, nice nice jumper, Aisling, I love you very much. <laughs> okay, so that's our fashion section out of the way and the bulk of our review. It's time for us to take a couple of minutes break and for you to listen up and to open open your minds to the wonder of everything else that's going on across all the other shows, across the Fandom Podcast Network. Now here's our mate, Kevin, with a few words about all of that. You can meet Kyle, Charlotte, and myself back here in a couple of minutes for our rankings and the ratings of Eve of the Daleks. Thank you for listening.
3: We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We'd like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to these other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, discussing the latest in entertainment pop culture. Blood of Kings, Immortals Take Notice, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theaters, where we celebrate our favorite movies. Time Warp, the fandom flashback podcast discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie and TV pop culture topics. Good Evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville show. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our show covering the time-traveling Doctor Who universe with host Dan Hadley. Lethal Mullet an 80s and 90s action film podcast with host Adam P. O'Brien. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast with hosts Scott, Derek, and Nathan. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, a deep dive into the final frontier with hosts Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. And check out our newest shows, The Fandom Show, our monthly fandom podcast network live YouTube exclusive show about the month's hottest topics in fandom, And the FPN True Believers MCU podcast, discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the related Marvel television and streaming MCU universe, including the connections to the original Marvel comics. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on several platforms. Please subscribe to the Fandom Podcast Network YouTube channel to receive notifications of new podcast episodes and live events. You can enjoy all of the Fandom Podcast Network audio podcasts on our master feed at fpnet.com. Podbeam.com. The Fandom Podcast Network is on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find the Fandom Podcast Network on Instagram at fandompodcastnetwork and on Twitter at fanpodnetwork. Thank you for listening, and remember, respect others
0: and enjoy your fandom. Oh, thanks Kevin yes we've teased and tantalised you there with all of that and we can even clothe you too there's merch to match all of the shows including Type 40 if you head over to tpublic.com search for the Fandom Podcast Network and there you'll find a store full of all the team colours for all of those shows on everything from the t-shirts to phone cases and those huge tapestries <laughs> treat yourself treat your other selves and it all goes to support the Fandom Podcast Network into the bargain so everybody wins yet yeah, we're not in a time loop uh kyle and charlotte they haven't made it out they're here they can't they can't escape and we're going to look again at uh, eve of the daleks and the, the stats the rankings the ratings the things the very things that would have had uh, chris chibnall and matt Stevens crying into their pot noodles as they looked at what at these figures as they were coming in yet again it wasn't very good it wasn't very good at all and uh, yeah we we've got everything everything right here why are Doctor Who fans obsessed with ratings well I'm afraid we always have been it's just something that you're gonna have to live with we know the way that the arrow had gone all the way through the the uh, Jodie Whittaker era barring a few little blips I think when John Barrowman came back to the show there was a bit of a bump and that was that was pretty much it it's been downhill ever since and it won't be a surprise. I won't labour the point. Things dropped even more so with uh, with Eve of the Daleks. You know, it's traditional that there would actually be a ratings bump, isn't it, Charlotte, for a Christmas stroke festive special? It's not been happening in the last couple of years, though, has it?
2: Well, weirdly, though, Jodie would always get a good bump. I remember thinking that at the time, like I, um, that the series ratings are always downward, but her specials, Always oh, seem to get a bit of like that bump, and but this was actually the opposite. I and mean, I remember at the time when these ratings came out, especially the overnights, even I was like, Oh, that's bad.
0: This is bad news, bad news in pretty much every respect. So, this was uh, 3.21 million viewers overnight. It did go up a little to 4.3 for the consolidated figure. So that's the one that they bring out about a week or so later, including all the iPlayer figures. Let's let's just accept as well that uh, iPlayer, now it counts as a view if you watch for two minutes, isn't it?
2: I thought it was second. Maybe I'm
0: wrong. <laughs> be good. They, they, I think they're bringing it down all of the time. And there's a third figure that they, they sort of farted into existence a little while ago. But at the end of the day, just 3.2 million people be bothered watching this on the day and the ai figure that's the audience appreciation index figure which is that's the one where people at home that that cross section of the public have got those little boxes and they register after the fact how much they enjoyed the show that they've just watched that ai ai figure just came in at 77 so again it's not quite as low as that final episode of flux (laughs) but it's still it's not good either so this is only not quite as high as they got. So it's on a par with, with uh, episode two of Flux, which was the one with the Santarans in War of the Santarans. They did sort of get back there when they brought the Weeping Angels back. This is, again, lesser than you would expect for that big show with the Daleks and crowd-pleasing. It didn't seem to please many people. And Kyle, over in America, you know, the, the, the story, it's it's getting worse and worse and worse for Doctor Who, isn't it? The, the ratings just drip and drop drop and drop and actually there's a there was a slight increase on this a very slight increase on this from the finale of flux but it's not by much this is still a very sorry state of affairs from the previous hires of the peter capaldi era where where doctor who was uh was in in pretty good health on bbc america
1: yeah let me just do something here uh yeah beyond repair <laughs> um There's always going to be a little bit of bump for the Doctor on the holiday specials, obviously, especially here in the U.S., because they are so beloved, but it's a a moot point. Doctor Who, right now in the United States, is dead on arrival. Here's how bad it is right now in the U.S. The streaming service that is on HBO Max is in complete disarray right now because of things that are going on with the Discovery Channel, having purchased Warner Brothers Media, which owns HBO Max and they're canceling things left and right. There have been big rumors that Doctor Who streaming rights are going to shift possibly over to the mouse, which if yeah, I'm right. a Doctor Who fan, I'm not sure that's a great thing. When the mouse tends to get their hands on something, they can't just get it and leave it alone. Unless Kevin Feige is there as the ultimate shield to block block it. But there is no Kevin Feige. And I would be very worried about Doctor Who if the... Mouse gets their
0: hands on it. It makes you wonder how advanced the talks are as regards that, as regards Disney Plus, I would have thought, yeah, I'd be surprised to see the news about HBO Max as well, because obviously Doctor Who and the BBC have had this long-standing arrangement with with Warners, haven't they? With with Time Warners, as it was known in the 80s. And so the thought that it may go elsewhere, it's um, obviously another unknown quantity, just as another one at a time where Sony have just got involved too. And it does make you wonder what the show... Will, will look like international in a few years' time. Obviously, it couldn't really be much worse than it is now for the international audience. But, it, yeah, if they started to to levy some sort of influence editorial, editorially sorry, on the show, I think the Bad Wolf Studios wouldn't react favourably to that. So we'll have to keep our eye on where that's going to go. I can't quite see it myself.
1: It, see. It's, it's kind of interesting in the aspect I almost feel like Doctor Who itself right now is under siege because you've got Sony with their with their ties with Bad Wolf, a possibility of Disney getting involved on the streaming side and obviously whatever craziness is happening over with the BBC right now and Doctor Who's just kind of caught in this middle of almost this three, this tug of war. And and you've got Russell there just like he's in the TARDIS door with his Sonic holding off <laughs> all of these forces <laughs> to try. And it's keep the ship.
0: funny, right? isn't it? Isn't it, Charlotte, because when when we think about this this show here, this national institution that's so associated with the BBC, I suppose internationally and within the industry, at a time of such great change and evolution and excitement, where it, it, things are changing so, so quickly, it's not surprising, is it, that there could be people in boardrooms who are thinking, you know, with, with streaming, streaming services everywhere, thinking, if only we had a brand, if only we had a brand name and a big franchise that had great pulling power and a dedicated audience that we could put at the center of this you know, paramount plus have now got it with star trek there must be places out there crying out for something with that pre-established bankability and yet there's the bbc with doctor who very publicly having run it into the ground like that it's not that surprising to I don't want to describe them as the vultures circling but it's hard not to see it like that and it's completely feasible how kyle described it that people could be watching and waiting and wondering how much that they would have to pay to get their hands and their minds on doctor who is it
2: i i think it's no coincidence that this isn't happening like in the middle of the tribunal era or at the beginning of the tribunal era it's happening when a new era is just on the horizon And I just think that's the appeal, honestly, that you've got Russell, you've got Bad Wolf, you've got this completely different energy coming into the show, which we all hope takes it to a direction where it can be TV we love again and we want to watch every week again. And I just, that's what I think it could be, that they're they're seeing this new star and possibly Disney or we know Sony has got their chunk and they're just seeing that. And also Sci Fi is hard to make and Doctor Who is such an establishment of Sci Fi that from my understanding obviously I don't have Disney Plus but I don't I know they've got Star Wars but Doctor Who is different. They sort of that they want that sort of more British type of sci fi that can stand up by itself.
1: Disney Plus is still continuing to evolve. Now, internationally, Disney Plus also hosts all the stuff that would normally here in the U.S. go on Hulu and things like that. So, like internationally, like Predator: Prey, which is a Hulu in the U.S. is Hulu. That's actually on Disney Plus internationally. So, Disney Plus does have a wide variety, and it's changing here in the states. For the first time ever, they have R-rated show movies now on Disney Plus. They put in some parental controls. They've added the two Deadpool films as well as the Logan film. Disney's always looking for IP. And I, I think the Doctor is a very intriguing IP for Disney for, and as an intern, something internationally worldwide that they could groom. This kind of leads me to another question. I just a quick question I have for you two because there's no buzz for Doctor Who in the States anymore. There really isn't. It's you're a fan of it, but there's no Dude. buzz. Like even, even when Jody first came on, that buzz is gone. What has been the feelings about our new Doctor that's coming? because all people are all everything i see here in the states the only the only two things they talk about is tenant coming back and rtd they, they don't talk about the new doctor at all he's like an, just he's not even an afterthought he's just just very
0: briefly guy. i think i think because sex education is quite a low profile show in great britain and the people who know about it love it and oh, therefore, they, and yeah. therefore <laughs> they know shooty gatwar and they love him too there's a bit of a cap on enthusiasm for him And for the prospect of of him being in Doctor Who, firstly, because it seems like a long way off in the future, you tell the British public that, oh, this exciting thing's coming. When's it coming? In three years' time. Oh, tell me nearer the time. So there's that too. Then there's the fact that they've never seen this guy, don't really know him from anything. And then thirdly, there's the fact that to the general audience, until recently, until the the tenant announcement, it looks like a lame, a total lame animal that needed putting down, that needed a rest. I think the the reveal about David Tennant and Catherine Tate coming back has jolted people, but I think it will take a lot, lot more than that. What do you What do you think, Charles? Am I along the right lines?
2: Yeah, no, I, I think it's honestly because Shooty isn't having like a high profile himself right now, which I think is the clever approach. He's not sort of putting himself out a lot. He's, he's obviously he's on some social media and he, there has been some events he's been photoed at. But he's been quite quiet for, like, an incoming doctor.
0: He seems aware that it's not his show yet, doesn't he? Yeah. He seems it, respectful, it, professional.
2: That's what I'm saying. I, I like that he's... But I think I think that's the right approach, but I think that's why he's not being excited. But like, I like not, him a lot. I oh, so. I do. I, I, he comes across as so humble. As a man. And such a lovely bloke. But that's the th- point. He's not putting himself to be like, look at me. Whereas you've got and who's very sort of he does little videos in his trailer he's very out there he's very visible
1: so but he's tenant he's tenant Yeah, so he can get away there.
2: so uh, let
1: me ask you guys this one is it is it kind of like a feeling when Matt Smith was coming on where it's an unknown factor little, so we're yeah. kind of wait, wait, waiting and seeing what's happened? and two do you think it's more impactful the fact that it's going to be tenant handing off the doctor to this gentleman, instead of it going from Jody to this gentleman, like I don't this, think you're, I you're don't think get... people
0: have realised what's coming when in what order yet. I think I you can't you simply can't see what's happening. I think it's very similar to the, to the Matt Smith situation, but of course the big difference then was when we're in that period between Tennant going and Matt Smith taking over Doctor Who was still the biggest show on British TV. Now it is, it, it, it looks dishevelled. Hardly anybody talks about it and even fewer people seem to watch it. And so the situations, it's kind of apples from oranges as, as well. I think as regards the history of the show, for the fan base, it's very similar to the Matt Smith situation. There's an the exciting new young actor that's a, sort of like a best kept secret that like the people who know him really excited about this because they know what he can do. Everybody else is going, who is he? And, and kind of like I am, I'm tempted to go and binge watch Sex Education but the other side of me is saying no i want this guy to be a surprise i don't want to have any preconceived ideas i just want to see him as a doctor yeah it's different but the same i was going to
1: say because I... i've heard a lot of rumors that they're going to it's going to be jody's going to regenerate into tenet and then tenet will then kind of that's what be i believe will happen from what into I've, the new I've doctor. and i i just think that if it is it's a brilliant move because i think it gets a lot of people's eyes on david tenet to where and then the transition to this new doctor instead of going from J- to Jody to this new doctor where people might not have their eyes on it quite as much.
2: I, I think it gives needed space between Shooty and this era. I think he needs that sort of block of space to separate because this era has been so either if you know about it, it's been toxic, it's not been liked, or like Dan said, if you're the general public, it's not registered. But like Stan was sort of saying, I think I think it, we're going to be in a very different situation when the 60th anniversary actually starts to roll in. Right now, I've sort of said this in a few shows, we're in this weird limbo that Jodie and Tribnola still haven't finished on television. I know the production's finished. So we're still technically in this era and we're waiting for the 60th to start. Such an awkward phase we are in the fandom right now.
0: I think, yes, it's very much a case that um, people are over it. And I mean we had the, the whole thing where last September, October, they announced that Russell was coming back. And so nobody was really interested in flux. I think that's even more so now. The fact that there is that 90-minute special to come, it's rumoured to be mid-October, so it's a, a, just a little while off now. It's kind of a, people looking at their, at their clocks thinking, oh. Really, <laughs> it's all over, and it's like this. This episode of the show, really, it's despite the fact that we enjoy being in, in one another's company and like talking about this sh- this show, this television show to you, it does feel like we are kind of doing an autopsy on on this now. And that's a sad state of affairs to be in, which uh, does bring me to my uh, final question. Really, if you had to rank this episode of Doctor Who, Eve. Of the Daleks, how many ex-girlfriends out of five would you give it, Kyle?
1: Um, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it, I'm going to be, in my opinion, generous. I'm going to give it two and a half because I do think there was a great concept there um, that was just not poorly, that was not. And that's, what, and that's what's frustrating with it. But there's some things in here I did I did like. I think there's some concepts in there I liked. I like the fact that we actually had the TARDIS team together for a whole episode, not split apart, and we actually got to see some interaction between them. But again, it's the absolute frustrating thing. Two and a half is probably the highest marks I can give a all thing
2: at
1: yeah, this
0: point. I think and- that's really generous, I've got to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> How many ex-girlfriends out of five do you give it, Charlotte?
2: Oh, I- I'm struggling because... I, we didn't have time, but I thought there were some lovely special effects with the TARDIS mm-hmm. like resetting and going in on itself. I thought that was gorgeous bit of some special. nice effects
0: work. So There's i been I, nice, wanna... nice effects work all the way through the Whitaker era in fits and starts, isn't it?
2: Yeah, so I wanna give that a bit of credit. I, I do agree that Sarah was annoying, but the actress Godlover was trying her best. So I feel like that needs to sort of be given a bit of props and the time loop could have worked i agree with you he actually for once didn't have a bad concept it was a good concept done terribly i'll give it a two
0: i'm exactly the same i'd give it a two for for mostly the same reasons at least this is on paper a doctor who story at least the daleks were sort of okay It all feels like that it's like looking looking for things to praise it for rather than to uh, continually do it down i thought the direction was pretty good as well and uh, that's really all i've got it it's not the fact that it was particularly good it's the fact that it was nowhere near as bad as some of the of the depths that we've seen doctor who plum to on chris chibnall's watch up to this point uh, eve of the daleks uh, is available already on dvd and blu-ray as a double pack with a uh, legend of the sea devils that's the, the special that came afterwards so you, you can get that now should you wish if you're a completist still into the physical media just like me i would imagine that it's streaming it's on the iplayer at the moment here in the uk but where can people see it in America now? Is it on BBC America? Is it on Apple? I can, I can never quite remember. Uh, where you, it can, you, can
1: pur- you can purchase it on Apple iTunes. I don't know if it's on HBO Max with that with their streaming of Doctor Who as of yet. I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't watched it yet. I've been a little. Fr- it I came out during my busiest time of work, and just hearing what I heard from everybody in the Type 40 community about it, and what I've seen in other places i don't know if i'm really ready to sacrifice that much time of my life to that particular episode of doctor who i i will because i do plan on coming back for when we talk about that episode here on type 40. Just the concept alone kind of even scares me a little bit well
0: yeah. kyle just, just to reassure just... you my friend we'll be here for you uh, yes
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, 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 yeah it'll be it'll be like uh lucy the 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 doctor <clears throat> is in pop your five cents in the can <laughs>
0: don't miss that coming up we're going to be bang up to date in next to no time with our review of legend of the sea devils which was that that last standard standard special that's a bit less special than the other special i don't know how we classify specials when it comes to doctor who anymore but we'll be talking about legend of the sea devils in due course but that is the old girl starting up and calling time on this edition of type 40. I'll be back with another one soon. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been over on the dedicated home feed for Type 40, type40.podbean.com. Maybe we uh, we rolled up on the podcatcher of your choice, so it could have been Audible, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, all those places. We're absolutely everywhere. We're still on the fabulous Fandom Podcast Network's Master Feed, along with all those other treats for your ears. Not on the weekly, it's on the daily, isn't it, Kyle?
1: Oh, there's so much on the fandom podcast network right now. I don't know which way I'm going up is down, left is right, right is left. Um, I, I'm thinking it's just diagonal from here on out.
0: And yeah what else yes maybe you'd like to get in touch with us you can do that Instagram and Twitter at type 40 Dr Who or you can email us type 40 doctor Who at gmail.com if you're if you're feeling really really brave you can reach out to us in real time by joining the Type 40 Facebook group. That's full of regeneration upon regeneration cycles worth of Doctor Who fans, where we're talking about classic Doctor Who, as always. All the cuddly, cosy, warm and fuzzy classic Doctor Who. New Doctor Who too, including those Jodie Whittaker episodes and that centenary special. And uh, most of all, I think we're all looking forward to all new Doctor Who. That's to come with Russell T. Davis, David Tennant, Neil Patrick Harris, Shooty Gatwalk. Catherine takes all that that's to come in 2023 and beyond. We're very excited about what's to come. Yeah, but uh, we'll be back with the Legend of the Sea Devils review in due course, so don't miss that. Carl, where can people hear and see more from you and connect with you on social media and all the rest of it?
1: Well, first of all, can I just watch Waters of Mars again and pretend it was Legend of the Sea Devils? <laughs>
0: i wish i wish i could say yes <laughs> uh,
1: of course you can find me all over the fandom podcast network um go to uh, fpnet.podbean.com also visit our fandom podcast network youtube channel we're doing all kinds of fun stuff there you can find me on social media at on twitter at a or on instagram at a and just a side note too you know i have been with on this ride with dan since he we, he joined us with the fandom podcast network in type 40 and it's early in early versions before he has regenerated it into this absolute powerhouse that it is now and i just can't reiterate how proud i am of what dan has done with this with this and the space book and everything and you are an institution now my friend and i'm just so proud and be proud to be even somewhat associated with it
0: oh thank you it is hard to imagine how far this has come in the last four and a half years isn't it
1: that feels like longer. It might have been COVID. I, don't know. <laughs> I,
0: think, I think it's because, in some respects, we couldn't have picked a worse time to start talking about Doctor. But then again, when I think about some of the conversations that we have had over the last four and a half years, despite what's been on screen, some of the conversations have been nothing short of gold. So thank you again, Kyle, for that. How about you, Charlotte? Where can people hear and see more of you?
2: Well, you can hear me on Type 40 Live with a lot of Dan and our lovely little group, and some of the podcasts. That I we did the Bernard Cribbins one. If you didn't listen to that, I would say please do because it. I think it's such a lovely tribute, and it and it's Bernard, so just listen just to pay respect to him. If anything else,
0: yes. Yeah, so don't miss that. We'll put links to all of it, of course, in the show notes and the description. I'm on Instagram and Twitter as the Facebook where I'm uh, I'm ranting and ra- raving, I'm wheezing and groaning about all things geeky, whether that's inside or outside of the TARDIS in, in film and TV and comic books. Sometimes even in real life, too. I do have a have a real life, apparently. But yeah, you connect with me over on social media there. But that's it for this time. We always have the time. If you have the space here at Type 40, we'll speak to you again soon. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs>